Good evening and welcome everyone once again to another episode of Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you are listening in on the podcast, we're glad you can join us. If you're watching this after the fact, that's wonderful. And if you're listening live, that's great too, because that means we can actually take your questions. This is a viewer generated show. The reason we are doing Crucial Conversations is because we had somebody request a study on the large catechism. So we are going through the large catechism right now. We are in the Lord's Prayer, that section. It's page 408 to 416. If you have your Book of Concord, Concordia Confessions, this is edition two that we are going with. So when I mention page numbers, I'm referring to edition two, the second edition. So um, like I said, this is a viewer-generated show, and we are in a reading plan all together in the Grokmoot. That is our Facebook group. You can find the link to the Grokmoot down below. Join us there every day. We post the reading for that day. And then on Tuesdays, we have this show where we discuss with a couple different pastors the content of the reading from the previous week, or depending on how it breaks up, maybe a little bit ahead. So, Joining me tonight, two wonderful guests. Both have been on the show before. First, we have Pastor Timothy Roth from St. Peter's in Humboldt, Kansas. And we have Pastor Kevin Golden, my own pastor at Village Lutheran in Ladue. We're glad to have you guys here. Thank, for Thank you for joining us. And of course, I am Peter Slayton, the Executive Director of Crucial Productions. And I'm your host, your facilitator, your moderator, my job is to keep the conversation moving and let these guys talk. So quick, really quick, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, there's a button up there and there's a button down there and maybe a couple other places too, depending on when you're watching this and where YouTube has moved it to. Uh, you can ask your questions in the live chat right now. I am going to be monitoring that chat during the show. You can send us an email at questions at crucialproductions.org. That email address is also down below in the description. So if you got a question after the show, send it in. We'll answer it on the next show. If you got a question now while you're watching live, ask it over in the comments. I will be checking that. But let's get down to business. Let's get into the meat of what we're discussing tonight. Our topic, we are discussing the Lord's Prayer, going through the first three petitions in the large catechism. But there's this bigger question we want to deal with first. Uh, Many of you watching could be coming from very different backgrounds. Maybe you've been a Lutheran your entire life. Maybe you've just discovered this thing called people called Lutherans, and you're trying to figure out what it is we believe. Maybe you think you believe it too. But either way, prayer is viewed very differently from all different uh, faiths around the world. And even within Christianity, there are different ways to look at prayer. So, it's good for us to start as we're discussing prayer to talk about what prayer is biblically. What What is prayer? Um, what are some of the misconceptions? We'll go through that on our show. But uh, Pastor Golden, I'm going to throw it to you first. Give us a quick rundown on what prayer is. So I, I would argue myself that the most foundational thing, the most critical thing to keep in mind when it uh, when it comes to prayer is what Christ himself teaches us. And especially you can pick up on this in the small catechism does a great job with this. But when Christ teaches us to pray, he starts off with two simple words, our father. 
Because with these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father. We are his true children. So that with boldness and confidence, we might ask him as dear children ask their own dear father. In other words, this is a child speaking to their father. And that there's a lot packed in there. First of all, we ever remain children as we go to the Lord in prayer. Um, that's huge theologically, biblically as well, because we are always um, the children. It's always the children of Israel. We ever remain the children of God. But the thing about going to your father is that why do you go to your father? You go to your father, number one, because you trust him. And number two, because you're confident that he will be able to provide what you are asking or what you need. Also implicit in that is dad knows more than what I do. He might actually know that there's something better than what I ask. And so in other words, implicit at the center of prayer is faith, confidence in who God is. So it's not a matter of going to God and making my demands and twisting his arms, uh, his arm. Now, children certainly can do that. Um, Peter, I cannot imagine any of your blessed children ever trying to strong arm you and, and getting <laughs> from you what you would, what they would want. Um, and nor, nor would my blessed children ever try even think about doing that with me. But no, this is what uh, sinners do is they think they can strong arm their father and not only their earthly father, uh, but also their heavenly father. But that just doesn't work. God knows what is good for us. And that's what he's going to deliver to us. Um, this is reminiscent of Christ's own words when he uh, tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that, hey, which one of you um, that when his child asks for a fish will give him a serpent? And which one, if his child asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, did I transpose those? I think I got them right. <laughs> I think you got them right. That's what yeah. I remember anyways. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is simply this. Hey, you who are sinners know how to give, give good things to your kids. Your heavenly father knows all the better. And that's what's at the heart of prayer is even though I don't know what's best, I think at times I do, but uh, probably really don't. My father does. And so that's why I turn to him in prayer, because he's going to give me what I need, which may not line up with what I ask, but it's going to line up with what he knows to be best for me. Pastor Roth, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll just uh, I like. What, what Pastor Golden was saying was not only do we trust, but we are confident that God will give. Um, and as we go to God, our Father, we also don't forget that God is God Almighty, which uh, reminds us that prayer is not only an invitation, but prayer is also a command. It's both and. So therefore, when we talk about prayer and what prayer is, we we don't just leave it up to uh, prayer is whatever I think it is. Prayer is whatever uh, it means to me. And I can say whatever I want. My prayers can be whatever they want, whatever I want. Uh, we must understand that prayer is coming to God in humility, uh, acknowledging the fact that we are not God, uh, that he is God. And he actually wants us to ask for specific things. Um, and we will we'll get into that as we talk about the petitions today, as we talk about the petitions next week. Uh, but ultimately, when we approach God, uh, and because of this this command, and we always hear command in that negative sense, but as we talked about in that special episode about the law, uh, you know, as Christians, we relate to the law in in a new way. God is our Father, as Pastor Golden said, and so we recognize the law as His will for us. 
So instead of perhaps saying he commands us to pray, we can say it is our father's will that we pray. And so as we as sinners wonder, especially as we pray and what we ask for the way we think we should receive, it doesn't necessarily pan out in our lives. Um, when we approach God and he, you know, if he were to say, why should I answer your prayer? The response that we should and should give and could give would be, well, because you have commanded me, you have shown me it is your will to pray. You have invited me to pray. And you also through Jesus Christ, my Lord, have promised to answer my prayer. So even when we don't see that playing out, we know that God is always answering the Christian's prayer. Hmm. I, I, I love what Pastor Roth did there about um, using both the word command, but also invitation right along with it, that they're, they go hand in yeah. hand. And they're really the same way to say the exact same thing. So that what uh, maybe this is uh, we're oversensitized uh, towards commands as if that is somehow bad. And that's, partly who we are as sinners, that we don't like to be told what we should do. But actually, there are plenty of commands that are good. And in fact, a command, if it's put in its proper context, can be understood as a blessed invitation. So, you know, Peter, I know you've heard me do this before in Bible study at church, but I'm going to use you here. You know, you get home after a long day um, and stuff, and uh, your uh, blessed wife, Emily, says to, to you, Peter, kiss me all right now <laughs> that, that is a command all right it's in the imperative form uh and so how do you respond woman i'm tired of you bossing me around all right what are you doing don't tell me what to do exactly no of course you're not a quite smarter uh, quite a bit smarter than that and so what do you do you kiss your wife and you rejoice yep. that she would invite you to this very thing. All right. And I'm sure Pastor Roth has that uh, same uh, kind of experience. I am blessed in the same way with my wife. So just because it's a command, don't take that as negative. It's actually a good thing. And so that is at the very foundation, again, of prayer is that this is part of God's own command that we usually uh, describe as the second commandment. All right. Uh, some of our listeners, they may, uh, say it's actually the third commandment, but specifically, uh, you shall not take the name of the Yahweh your God in vain, all right? Mm -hmm. And so the point of that commandment is not that you should never use God's name, but use it for the purpose that it's actually been given. So why does God give you his name? Well, he puts you on a first name basis with, with him for a couple of reasons. One, so you can go out and tell others about him. So that's living out the second commandment. But another way you get to live out the second commandment is by using his name to talk to him. So just as, hey, we're on a first name basis, so I can talk to you and call you by name. So also God gives us his name so that we can call upon him. So I know we're really focused on the large catechism, but hey, my mind goes to the first catechism or the small catechism on this. Um, did I say the second catechism? Or I say the large. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> right. it's okay. We're, you know okay. So yeah. we're focused on the large catechism, but my mind is going to the small catechism where, um, again, it so faithfully uh, captures this, that living out that second commandment isn't just that we should not curse, swear, practice satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but it's also about what we should do. Call upon him in every trouble, 
pray, praise, and give thanks. So prayer is a living out of this commandment from God because we're using his name as it should be used. It's a gift given to us so that we can talk to him, call upon him in prayer. The, I have a follow-up question as we're talking about properly defining and properly understanding prayer. There is this concept of prayer being a, a conversation between me and God. And so maybe it's framed in the way that, you know, when I read the Bible, that's God talking to me. And then when I pray, that's me talking back to God. Uh, but there's another side that can come into this conversation where I pray and then I'm supposed to sit silently and, and listen for God to respond, to, to give me an answer. Now, this, this idea of conversation, of prayer being a conversation, what is right about that and where does it perhaps go wrong? Um, Pastor Roth, I'm going to give you first shot on, on this one. Help, help me figure out where, where this is okay and where we got some issues with this. Yeah, so uh, we rightly look at Scripture as God's word to us. Uh, you know, if, if someone tells me that they want to hear God speak, I would say, well, go open your Bible. Uh, want to hear God speak out loud? Well, then read it out loud. That is God speaking to you. So in an essence, yes, we, we hear, we receive from God, and we hear his word, and then our response back to him, we he gives us good things and we want to respond. Um, we want to give thanks. We want to praise. We want to call upon him in every need. So there is that kind of dialogue uh, in the fact of God gives us his word and we respond. You can look at it in a conversation that way. And not only do, do we just respond and say anything we want, um, but this, this prayer is, is saying the words of God back to him. Um, God has promised to be with us. He has promised to hear us. So what is the content of our prayer? Lord, these are your promises. Make them be. Um, and God is eager to do that. But it is not where we go off the rails there is where we take Bible verses and say, oh, God spoke in a, in a still small voice. Um, to a person in the Bible at one point. Therefore, that means he always speaks in a still small voice, and that is how I should expect God to speak to me. So I am going to sit here and throw a temper tantrum until God speaks to me. Um, that's not how he has promised to work. He has promised to work through his word. And if he's going to do it in a still small voice and you're throwing a temper tantrum, well, that's too loud. You're never going to hear him. Exactly. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Golden. All right. Uh, and you're right on the money there, Pastor Roth, at that uh, this is always a question of what has God promised, as you rightly said, because God never leaves us in doubt. And the thing is, that still small voice, I won't know, to be quite honest, is, is that God speaking to me? Is that my own sinful nature speaking to me because that's what I really want to hear. Is it something that got planted in my head when I was watching X, Y, or Z on television last night or on down the road? It could come from any number of locations. And so this is rather critical for the biblical mindset is that God does not well up within me, but rather God comes from outside me, all right? And so here is where the external word of Holy Scripture, this is how I know it is God speaking because it's coming from outside me rather than welling up within me. And so, um, yeah, if I want to hear God's voice, I 
crack open my Bible and I listen uh, to what he has to say in his word. And even there, because um, as Pastor Roth was uh, picking up on, what can happen is people will take one verse and say, well, look what God did there. So that's what he's going to do for me. No, what is you have to keep that verse within its context and ask yourself, um, what is it? that God has actually promised. Now he did it for that person, but what does he promise he's gonna do for you? And what he has promised is that he will speak in Holy Scripture. So that, that brings up a question you mentioned about it's not something that wells up inside of me. And so we're, since we're still introducing uh, the idea of prayer, th this might, without going too much into the tangent about God's will for my life, um, there are times in my life where I'm, I'm having to make a difficult decision, whether it's job related, um, you know, marriage, family related, you know, any number of things. And so I will pray about it or I used to, I don't, I don't necessarily do it this way anymore, but man, the temptation is really strong to do it this way. Let me phrase it that way um, where I will pray and then I will wait to make that decision or I won't make the decision on whatever the issue is until I have this feeling of peace where I feel settled with the decision where I'm at peace. And really the reason I tend to do that is because, well, that's God giving me that peace about the decision that I've made the right decision. It's the right way to go. Is, is that what am I doing in prayer? Is that right? Is that wrong? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's maybe not necessarily the best <laughs> way to, to view prayer. Um, but once again, is, is there something in this where I've taken something good and then gone the wrong direction with it? And Pastor Golden, I'm going to go to you first and, you know, feel free to treat this as pastoral care to your member here if you want. All right. All right. Yeah. So the reality, of course, is that there's plenty that God calls upon us to do that doesn't make us feel good. In fact, we feel rather rotten about it. We are resisted. Now, partly that's because my own sinful nature doesn't want to do the holy thing that God calls upon me to do. And often the holy thing, the right thing, the good thing is downright difficult to do. And therefore it's not particularly pleasant. It will put me at opposition with other individuals in the process who would have me do something else. We have plenty of biblical examples of this. You can think everything from, um, what God called upon Jonah to do, he had no desire to go to the Ninevites, and yet that was God's holy will to go and do that. You can think about um, Elijah going up against the prophets of Baal, all right? That was not a pleasant experience. You can even go to an example such as Jeremiah and what he was called upon to do. It was not the least bit pleasant. But the ultimate example of this, obviously, is Christ our Lord, who's called upon by his Father to do things that are um, not the least bit comfortable. So Christianity is not the religion to get into if you want to be comfortable. In fact, mm -hmm. God is constantly making us uncomfortable by means of his holy demands upon our lives. And so Christianity is not calling us to do what's easy and comfortable. It's calling upon us to do what is right and good. And um, yeah, that is, um, that is never easy. So don't have a misguided sense of if I'm at peace with it, it must be the right thing. I can be at peace with doing all kinds of really bad things. 
right? So what should give <laughs> confidence that I'm doing the right thing is that it's in accord with God's word, all right? So if I, you know, this is uh, not me confessing anything, but as a <laughs> illustration, if good, I'm good clarification, peace, yes. If I'm at peace with, you know, running off with a woman other than my wife, that is not because God has given me peace with that decision. No, that's me just simply serving my own desires. Um, what God calls upon me to do is be faithful to my wife. Now, fortunately, I am at peace with being faithful to my wife because the Lord has given me a good wife. Pastor Roth, what are your thoughts? What are my thoughts? <laughs> I'm, oh, typing, I'm responding in the comments now, so you got to talk while I, while I, I type know. in the comments. I had a, uh, I was going somewhere with my thoughts. Oh my goodness. What was the original question again? <laughs> the feeling of peace I'm looking for when oh, I make a decision and you know, I pray. That's right. That's I get right. this feeling of peace. Well, yeah. So the answer, the answer to God's, so you ask a question about God and, and then you're waiting for an answer, uh, hoping that some way, somehow you will, will get this feeling that one of them is just right. Um, I mean, besides the fact that, again, going back to that is not the way that God has promised to communicate. Um, that slips into to mysticism and trusting our emotions over God's revealed word. So when we have an option like that, it's it's a good thing to pray. It's we're supposed to pray about everything and anything. Um, Luther says even the most small trivial things we should pray for. Uh, but when we pray over choosing one option or or another, with when we want to hear God speak, then we should really consider those two options, and and we should be asking ourselves, is one of these more sinful than the other, or does one of these uh, help give me more of an opportunity to preach the gospel than another? Um, and that is in, in those ways we can look and see. Well, if something is less sinful than another, then obviously that is going to be the the answer that God would give, uh, regardless of how I feel about it. Or if an option would um, would help me preach the gospel more, give me more of an opportunity to speak to people, um, then that would, of course, be a wonderful option. And typically, when we when we have those choose between two things, uh, usually I think God is out there going, "Just pick." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are a Christian. You live in faith. Uh, whatever you do is covered in the blood of Christ. Obviously, don't go and and do something you know is sinful. Uh, but we are freed in the gospel to, you know, should I go to this university or that university? Just pick. Um, now, again, consider, does one of them put you in more debt than another one? Uh, God doesn't want us to be a slave to, to someone through debt. Uh, so you can go through those options and, and look at God's word. Okay, how is God speaking, speaking to me? He's speaking to me through his word. Oh, I know his commandments. I know his will. Knowing this, make a decision. Yeah. So it, it seems like it, there may be a feeling of peace that could accompany my prayer and, and a decision, but that I should not regard that feeling of peace as God's word to me that this is the right decision. Um, at the same time, 
a, a feeling of unrest or disquiet or outright stress and angst is also not an indicator that God is telling me not to do this thing or, you know, it's even that as we're talking about God speaking to me about a direct situation, I mean, we, we could have a whole episode on how God speaks to people or doesn't speak to people too, which um, we're kind of getting into that since this is prayer and it's us, us talking to God. Uh, we, we do have a question in the comments, a little digging a little bit deeper in this on the idea of comfort. Um, and okay, the, the username sounds like it's silly, but the, the individual is sincere <laughs> in this question. Um, jokes for Cheetos, which if I ask this question, do I get Cheetos? Because I like Cheetos. Maybe he'll, he'll send me some Cheetos or she. I don't know who it is. But um, why can't you be called upon to do something right in a comfortable way? So if God's going to tell you to do something, why can't he just go ahead and make it comfortable for you to do that thing? Um, so it's asking it in another way, coming from another perspective. So let's just quick, if you have a quick answer to that before we move on here. Well, there are some, some things he does call upon us to do that we are comfortable with. So it's not uh, an impossible thing, uh, such as I'm quite comfortable loving my wife and he does call upon me to love my wife. Um, I'm not a perfect husband. So yeah, that's a there are times when I will even struggle with that, but you know, just because we're comfortable with something doesn't mean it's wrong either. There are plenty of things uh, that we are called upon to do that we are comfortable with, but comfort is not the barometer of whether something is right. It's not the barometer uh, for whether something is according to God's will. The thing that lets us know whether it's by God's will is what he has spoken to us in his word. Also, there's the matter of, and this could get us off on a huge tangent that it really isn't today's topic, I know. We do have three um, petitions we have to get to eventually. Yes, yes. Uh, but it would be uh, things such as natural law, my conscience and such, um, so that, yeah, there will be things that I'm at peace with because my conscience tells me that is a good and right thing to do. And so, hey, that's a wonderful thing. So when I am at peace with doing the right thing, Thanks be to God. All right. But there are times when I struggle against that because of uh, my sinful nature. Pastor Roth, any quick thoughts to add there? Yeah. Um, I mean, going right along with what Pastor Golden said, you know, getting up and, and preaching the word uh, on Sunday mornings is a joyful thing, even if I'm terrified because I feel completely un, unprepared or, or whatnot. Uh, serving in the capacity that I do at the congregation it is a joyful thing, and I'm comfortable doing it uh, to an extent <laughs> when I'm not worried that I'm insufficient. Uh, but there is, you know, the extent of, and and I do think we can address this question and address the other question too about um, sinfulness when we're talking about the third petition: "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Yeah, uh, that's. I was can we'd sneak that one in. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Uh, but there is this fact of uh, Christ came and died and suffered for our sake, and we therefore are conformed into his image. So there are points in time where we too are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. Um, thankfully for us here in the United States, at least as of right now, that suffering is usually discomfort. Um, there are Christians who are across the world who who they're suffering literally is giving up their life, um, who I do feel completely okay saying they are persecuted. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit of, of a smack in the face to them when I say, oh, I'm persecuted here. No, I mean, 
that I have discomforts thrown upon me, but typically I shoot, I sit in an air conditioned office, uh, a decent amount of the time I go visit people, uh, in their homes with air conditioning and electricity and all the modern comforts, even that, um, got a comfortable job, but there are times where we are called upon to suffer because ultimately the world rejected Christ. Um, so when we come and truly bring his word, we're rejected often as well. And that's even by other Christians because our fleshiness, our sinfulness wants us to reject what God truly has to say. Yep. So as we move along into the three petitions, uh, what we're talking about here is the Lord's Prayer. And so I will just go ahead and say uh, what we refer to as Lutherans, at least as the three petitions. So the part of the, the Lord's Prayer that we're covering today is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we are looking at that section of the Lord's Prayer here in the large catechism and as Luther himself deals with it, pastors, take us through some of the scriptures we should be looking at to make sure that we are rightly understanding what it is that we are praying um, and and how, how this is drawn from scripture other than, of course, Christ's words themselves. I mean, we should start off by saying this is Christ himself who said this is how to pray. So obviously we can go there. Uh, but there is more scripture to draw on as well to help us gain a deeper understanding of what Christ himself tells us to do. So um, which one of you wants to go first here? I'm, I'm comfortable tossing it to either of you. <laughs> so there's one thing, of course, that binds these three petitions together in that you'll notice even in English, we kept up, uh, take note of the repetition, thy name, thy kingdom thy will. So uh, that's what kind of helps bind these three really tightly together, even grammatically and such. And so everything is about, hey, I'm oriented towards God and what uh, he would desire. And that in itself um, speaks volumes. Now, this is where one could potentially go astray thinking that, oh, the reason I need to ask for these things to happen is because apart from my prayer, they won't happen. So unless I ask God, unless I am myself the one petitioning this and requesting it and making it happen, well, then God's name isn't going to be holy. His kingdom won't come and his will won't be done. But that's far from the case. Uh, God is God. His name is holy in and of itself. God is God. His kingdom is going to come. God is God and his will will be done what, apart from my prayer. So what we're really focused upon is a desire for that to happen within our own lives, asking God to be at work in my own life for these things to happen in my own life. Now, I'm going to key in on one of those specifically, and this is probably one that from my own um once I became um, a student of the of the biblical languages that I grew to appreciate more than anything else, and it's this petition, uh, thy kingdom come. Because in English, when we hear the word kingdom, we usually think in kind of really static territorial terms. The kingdom of England that has these fixed boundaries, all right? And so that's what a kingdom is. But that's not really the biblical use of that term. Whether you're using New Testament Greek with basileia, well, now I sound smart because I'm throwing Greek in there. <laughs> right? Yeah, yep. Or you can go to, oh, I'll sound smart again, the Hebrew mamlaka, all right? Uh, that so, sounds even smarter than the Greek. Oh, that was yes, great. yes. Yeah. Ooh and ah, all right. <laughs> now, 
Um, the thing is with those terms is that we think it, the Hebrew and the Greek, the biblical mindset, didn't run in a static sense of boundaries and such, but rather uh, both of those words are derived from the verb that means what a king does. So if you want to run with both of those languages, a king kings his kingdom would be kind of the wooden way to translate all this. The point is this, that kingdom is not about a territory. It's about the activity of what a king does. It is his rule and his reign. So what we're praying for is thy rule and reign. Your rule and reign, O God, come into my life. All right. So how does God rule and reign? That's really at the heart of it. And this is a huge part of it. God rules and reigns with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. This is his way that he goes about his kingdom, his ruling and reigning. So, yeah, rule and reign in my life with your grace, mercy, and forgiveness that I might live in your gracious kingdom. Pastor Roth, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, that was one of the questions that I even wrote down when uh, thinking about and, and making notes tonight. What is God's kingdom? Um and immediately, one of the things that entered my mind was was in John 18, where Pilate is actually asking, uh, because the Jews are saying, he, he calls himself a king. So Pilate goes in and he's questioning Jesus. And it says, uh, it, starting in verse 3, John chapter 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Not from the world. Then Pilate said to them, said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So in John, we have this question going from the kingdom, what is the kingdom? Pilate asking, what is the kingdom? To Pilate then asking, what is the truth? Because Jesus says, basically, it acknowledges um, though others have called him a king, yes, he is a king, but his kingdom isn't, it is not of this world. Um, but I have come to rule, to reign, to bring the truth. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? Well, earlier in John, we, he comes again to the top of the head. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And no one comes to the Father the Father's kingdom. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and then he goes on from there. This is chapter 14. Um, and if it were not, oh, in 14, he starts, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Okay, what's his Father's house? Oh, perhaps his kingdom. Um, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? 
And this is where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this question, what is the kingdom? What is truth? Well, it is Jesus. And what has Jesus come to do? He was born. He lived out this ministry, healing, calling people to the kingdom. Then he suffered and died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He ascended where now he pleads to the God, to God the Father for us. Uh, he is going and preparing a place to us. What is a kingdom other than, as Pastor Golden said, the rule and reign of the king? Um, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We can't look at a specific place, a specific part of geography and say, there, there is God's kingdom. Ancient Israel, we want a king. They have rejected me as king. Um, the, Israel didn't, I mean, they lived in a specific place, but there was no palace. There was no center of government because they lived by God's word or they should have been living by God's word. We as Christians live in the kingdom according to God's word in Christ. Um, and it is that rule and reign that he brings, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel, that is the kingdom. So when we say, um, thy kingdom come, we are asking, Lord, bring to me your gospel. Bring to me and those around me the forgiveness of sins. And that is what we participate in every Sunday. We get to participate in that every Sunday. We get to participate in that as we're being fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. As long as we are living in the vocations as God has attended, we are the kingdom of God. Let's let's talk about this this kingdom a, a little bit more, but from a little bit of a different perspective. So, I'm I'm going to name some names here and throw out some some terms that hopefully we can well maybe spend a little bit of time defining, but not too much. But within um, Christianity, uh, in the in the general sense of that term. I say general because uh, there are some things that go on in this particular kind of Christianity that I'm going to say aren't actually Christian. So you you have something called the New Apostolic Reformation um, or the, the word faith movement. Um, both of these movements are organized around bringing, well, are, are organized around this petition, thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And they, they hear that phrase and they say, Lord, bring your kingdom here on earth, just like it is in heaven. It's going to be like that right here, right now. And uh, if you're looking for examples of, of these, there's one out in Redding, California, Bethel Church run by Bill Johnson. Um, and then you've got one closer to you, Pastor Roth in Kansas City, yep. um, International House of Prayer run by Phil Bickle, IHOP. I always, now I want pancakes. <laughs> Did you say Phil Bickle? Uh, yeah, isn't it Phil Bickle? Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle. There we go. Yeah. That would be if somebody starts looking up Phil Bickle and yelling at him over what I said, uh, he's going to be really confused. Really I only sorry. know that because I I almost got involved in that in college. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Phil Bickle, whoever you are, I'm really sorry if you just got a bunch of angry emails as a result. Mike Bickle. Um, but, they, but these individuals, they've, they've started movements organized around this idea that thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And this includes miraculous signs and healings and wonders and, and all sorts of things. What are they missing um, in, in what Jesus is actually saying here? And why isn't, I'm going to assume, that isn't a biblical way to see this. So based on, if my assumption is correct, why isn't that the right way to look at what we're talking about here? Pastor Golden, we'll start with you. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> you ask the question, what are they missing? I'd say they're missing Jesus. That's the whole thing is um, they're missing Jesus because it's uh, everything is contingent in that outlook upon me rather than everything being contingent upon Christ. Now, here, this is a huge issue in the whole of Holy Scripture, but maybe particularly in the gospel according to St. Matthew, because the kingdom of God is runs strongly as a theme throughout Matthew's account of the gospel. And so, uh, for example, you can see this right out of the gates in Matthew. He gives us a genealogy of Jesus that is set forth in three parts. The first part goes from uh, essentially Abraham, to David, a time when there was no king in Israel. Then you get from uh, King David until the exile, when there was a king in Israel. Then you get from exile until the time of Christ, when there was no king. So here's the pattern. No king, king, no king, and now the king. All right, that's kind of the point. It's setting it up. Here comes the king, all right? Uh, And that is Christ with the birth of the king who has an eternal reign. And so that becomes huge throughout the rest of the account of the gospel. So Jesus, uh, Matthew loves to capture Jesus's words about the kingdom of heaven, which could be unpacked simply with these words. The kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of God that comes out of heaven. So that's the kingdom of heaven. The reign that comes out of heaven or the rule that comes out of heaven from God, and it's found right here in Christ. In other words, the reign and rule of God is not something we're waiting for. It's something that is ours in Christ. My favorite passage, my favorite text to unveil the beauty of this is Matthew 13, verse 44. So here's Jesus in one verse who gives it all to us. He says, the kingdom of heaven. So again, understand what that means is, the reign and rule coming out of heaven from God and now found in Christ is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, if you go the wrong way here, you'd make it all about you. And so what do you need to do? Give up everything so you can get hold of this kingdom. And that's what you're going to do with your prayers, your requests to God, et cetera, et cetera, because everything's contingent right here on me. But this is not a this is not about what I need to do. It's about what God does in Christ, the reign and rule coming out of heaven from God in Christ. So that what does he do? He gives up everything. Literally, he gives up everything, even his own life to purchase the treasure that he has found. Namely, he purchases the church with his own blood. He purchases you and me. So again, er- a right understanding of the kingdom draws everything right back to Christ and what he is doing for us. Amen. Pastor Roth. Yeah, I will hit on that. And I think it also helps us go back a little bit to the first petition. Um, 
one of the passages I didn't get to earlier too was uh, John from John chapter three, where Nicodemus comes and is talking to Jesus. Um, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the rule and reign of God coming from heaven and now found in Jesus Christ, uh, which is that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the, the issue with the NRA kind of thinking is uh, they always want to point to what is the spirit doing? And they want to look at the power of the spirit. Um, and that is how we know where the kingdom of God is, where these miracles are happening, uh, where glory flakes are falling around the sky, where manna is, is around, where cavities are filled with, with golden fillings miraculously, all these miraculous things. And they believe, oh, if this is happening, that is where the kingdom of God is, is coming to heaven. But in John's, in chapter three, in John's gospel, right there where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, the kingdom of God comes to a, to a person when they are born of water and the spirit. And we know as we look through the testimony of scripture that the spirit's job is to point to Christ. Everyone I've, I've heard or, or talked to that is about the word of faith kind of thing um, always talks about, well, we've got to look at the power of the Spirit. And they will even point to verses in Scripture showing how power is linked to Spirit. But what they always somehow neglect to see, even in the verses they point out, is that the power of the Spirit is always connected to the testimony and witness of Christ. And so all of this, um, how do you know that you have the kingdom not because these amazing things are happening, but because you have Christ. Because as Pastor Golden said, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God from heaven and now here in Christ. But that also requires you to go back to the first petition, hallowed be thy name. You cannot have God's kingdom without first knowing who God is and having his name. And so when we, when we, hallow his name that means we know who he is because it is not us who who makes it holy um just like it is not us who brings the kingdom it is the spirit who brings the kingdom um but god's name is holy in and of itself so as we are going about in the kingdom we know who god is we hallow his name because he is the holy one and we ask that he helps us to make it holy as well that means to acknowledge him as the only God. Uh, that means to faithfully preach his word. Um, all the things that Luther connects this, and I think rightly so, the whole Lord's Prayer can be connected to the second commandment because it's rightly using God's name. But in this petition, we are specifically praying that we would rightly use God's name, that we would understand that he is the one true God above all else um and that it is only to him that we look for all of our good and it is only to him and to his kingdom that we receive the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting so let's let's move to the third petition because and i'm going to try and work in we uh we had another question from uh, jokes for day jokes for days cheetos 
which now I want Cheetos. I wanted pancakes. Now I want Cheetos. So I am apparently destined to be hungry during this particular episode. But uh, the question was asked about our, our sinful nature. And I want to say um, for others who are listening to this later, watching this later on the podcast version, whatever, um, jokes for days, I'm, I just call them Cheetos, <laughs> has said uh, this individual is not a Christian. And so they're asking these questions, wanting to understand, or at least uh, to a certain extent, those of us who are Christians. And so this question, the, the third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to bring their question in here where they say, why do you all, us Christians, see yourselves as sinful all of the time? And the reason I'm going to bring that in here to the third petition is because we are talking about God's will. And of course, if we're going to talk about God's will, it's in contrast to our own will, which we do believe is, is sinful. So we got two questions here. Let's talk about what, why do we Christians see ourselves as sinful all the time? Um, and then how does that contrast with God's will when we pray this will be done as opposed to my will? What are we actually saying? Pastor Roth, I'm going to give you first shot at this one this time. All right. So on my notes, I actually, the first thing I wrote under this petition is, there is a war going on. Um, the, the question is perfect for setting this up. You know, why do Christians view themselves as sinful? While we look back at, at scriptures and we see in the very beginning, um, there was Adam and Eve. And the Satan, who, who we later learn about in scripture, um, who was a fallen angel because he desired the glory of God for himself for himself so he led rebellion against god um, and was cast down to the earth well at some point he was cast down in the earth and he comes to eve as this serpent and he speaks to her and says uh did god command you not to eat of any tree in the garden and she said well no we we can eat of any tree we're just not supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the the tree in the midst of the garden in the middle of the garden and satan says oh you won't die if you eat it like God said. Uh, you won't die like God said you would. You will just become knowledgeable like him. You know, God's scared. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from it, because you will be like him. And ever since that day, ever since he even put that thought into Eve's mind, the, the desire to become like God, um, we have been fallen humanity since. And we can see the way this works out when we view God's law, when we view his will. And we recognize that we don't live up to it because God commands us to live perfectly for him and perfectly for others. And he gives us the commandments. Um, he expands upon those commandments at different points. Christ comes along and really expands on those commandments and show how even in our thoughts and desires, we do not match up. Um, because we're always turned in on ourselves. We're always looking out for number one. Um, so as Pastor Golden said earlier, you know, I, I take joy in being a husband. I take joy in loving my wife. But man, there's that sinful part of me that kind of keeps my eyes wandering. And, and it's hard, especially in our society and culture where, um, where things are all over the place. You can't watch a TV show. You can't watch... Uh, a movie without some scantily clad 
whoever showing up at some point. Um, and our sinful minds, our fallen minds, our minds that want to be God and say, it's okay for me to have the glory and honor. And it's okay for me to define what is good and evil. Um, I can do what I want to do. It completely butts heads with what God says, because God's will is that we submit to him, not because God is domineering, but because, because God wants to give us good gifts. God wants to bless us. But in our sin, we always corrupt those gifts. And when we corrupt those gifts, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And so when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking him, Lord, help me. Because when I, when your name is holy among me, when your kingdom comes to me, especially when I am forgiven my sin, then Satan redoubles his efforts. Because when I am brought out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of, of Christ, Satan redoubles his efforts and he enlists not only the horde of hell, he enlists the world, and he even enlists my own sinful nature. Which looking at Romans 7, that's another scripture, and I, I want to pass it off to Pastor Golden soon. Um, but Romans 7 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And again, uh, one that many in Christianity just can't seem to understand. They don't want to accept this as a reality of, Christ, of Christianity. But Paul talks about wrestling with himself. He sees the law and will of God, and he knows what is good. But yet, when he sees that law, and he sees what is good, he automatically wants to do what's bad. He automatically wants to do the opposite. So he has this war waging inside of himself. We all have this war waging inside of ourselves, going, Lord, I know what your will is. Your will has been shown to me in your word, but my sinful nature just wants to do the complete opposite. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, please help me. Amen. Now, Pastor Golden, if we go to Genesis, this is almost like cheating since we're just starting a Bible study. So you've got like right top of mind there. But uh, share your thoughts on the two questions here. The how we view our why do we view ourselves as sinful? And then this conflict as we are praying, thy will be done versus our own will. All right. So a, a big part of that is humility. So a recognition that um, the very the very profession that God is God is a way to say, I'm not God. I am not God. And that means I don't always know what's right. In fact, um, to be God means you do know what's right. And therefore, I don't because I'm not God. If you want to understand God's will, it um, it's encapsulated, of course, in his word. And maybe one of the most condensed ways to do that is Christ's own uh, condensation of the commandments into two basic ones. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's will for my life. He wants me to love him above all else and to love my neighbor as myself. This also dovetails very beautifully with what um, the world recognizes as natural law. It also dovetails with my conscience that has been given to me by God. Because you don't have to be a Christian to know that it's wrong to take other people's stuff. All right, That's not a loving thing to do, to take their stuff. It's not a loving thing to do to kill them and things like that. This is natural law. 
my conscience buttresses that, that and such. The reality is when I'm honest with myself, I do not always seek out to fulfill this natural law because the this law that's been given to us by God written on our hearts says, put others' interests before your own. And what do I like to do? I want to put myself first, all right? Self-idolization. I want to treat myself as God. I know what's best, and what's best is for me to get the things that I want and such. So this is why, yeah, I, I can't escape the reality of my own sinfulness. Yep. We are coming up to the end of our show here. I think we managed to make it through all three petitions, at least in <laughs> general. In one way or another. Yes. In one way or another. They all made it in here. Um, we, we will be back next week. Uh, pastor Whedon and Pastor Dembski are going to be our two pastors next week. So hopefully you guys can join us next week as well, where we will be continuing our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but before we wrap up here, uh, I'd like to hear you know, final thoughts from both of you pastors. We have some questions in the comments that we aren't able to get to since we are running up on our time. So maybe we'll be able to get those in at the beginning of next week's episode, um, or we'll find other ways to answer them too. We don't want to leave any questions unanswered. Uh, so uh, Pastor Roth, as we are wrapping up here, our first three petitions on the Lord's Prayer, what are what are your closing thoughts for us today, tonight? Yeah, I, uh, I actually have two that I want to share. Um, one is actually, I meant to talk about this kind of earlier on uh, when we were talking about what is prayer, because often the thing is too, you know, what should we pray for? Can we just ask for anything? Uh, you know, if you ask for it, God will give it to you. He's got to give it to you because that's what he said. Um, but the whole Lord's Prayer teaches us to, to pray. Uh, we are called to pray according to his will. There was this part from James chapter five that I wanted to kind of look at real quick. Uh, and it says, James says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its, at its working. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because that is one of those verses that is plucked out of context and kind of used uh, to say, well, we can pray for anything at, you know, word of faith. We can pray in the prayer of a righteous person. Uh, they'll do, God will do what we say because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Um, but note in there that James, he says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will rise, raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Before this, James is talking about suffering. So James is not going on, if you are suffering at all, just pray and the suffering will stop. Because his whole point in this is enduring and suffering. And then right after this, James talks about the last day. And so keeping in mind of, Okay, he's not telling us that if we pray, we can escape suffering, but he's also, after this, pointing us to the last day. Um, what does this, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. All of our prayers for healing, all of our prayers for the good gifts of God, 
we may not see in this life. Um, thy kingdom come. It is a present reality. We also had a question from Joe. You know, when we pray the kingdom come, are we also praying for the new heaven and the new earth? The answer to that is, yes, the kingdom of God is here, but absolutely, we are also praying for the new heaven and the new earth. God might not heal those who are sick who you are praying for now, but he does promise he will one day heal that person. And the person who is in faith, who, who is forgiven, they will be saved. And when they're raised again in the new heavens and the new earth, all of our prayers we will see answered in the way that that the kingdom most fully comes. Um, now the second comment I want to make, I'll be a little more quick about that. I hope I talked on that enough to answer that. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. If you go to the Crucial Productions blog, I think it's still the only blog on there. <laughs> the so far, there. yep. It's the only actual article. Exactly. About me talking about Romans 8 and how it has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And again in here, Romans chapter 8, it has it all. God does everything for us, which is the gospel. Likewise, starting at verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then Paul goes into the, um, for all things work together for all who are according, called according to, the God, to his purpose, and pointing again to that end times when God promises one day everything will be made right. In the meantime, as we struggle in our sin, as we struggle suffering for the gospel, as we wonder, am I even praying the right thing? Rest in the peace, knowing that even if you're praying something stupid, if you have the Spirit, if you have been given the kingdom of God, the Spirit is fixing your prayers. God not only created you, he not only redeemed you, but he is sanctifying you to the point that as your prayers ascend before God, He's making them holy. And how much more can we just rest in the knowledge of God loves us and he's doing it all for us. Amen. Pastor Golden, closing thoughts. Maybe one last uh, illustration from Holy Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, the apostle, has been calling out to the Lord. He prays to the Lord, uh, take away the thorn in my flesh. So he has uh, uh, some besetting physical matter that has been troubling him. And so this would seem to be a holy and righteous prayer. But this is a great example of where God's will is greater than Paul's will. Paul wanted to be released of this physical affliction, but God chooses not to alleviate this, but instead tells him, my grace is sufficient in weakness. So what he does is he's work, he says, what's better for you, Paul, is for me to work in the midst of this affliction so that you might trust in me. And so this is a grand example of what God's will is. His primary will is not to make your life easy, but to hallow you to make you holy. This is why he uh, hallows his name in your own life. This is why he has his kingdom come into your life. And this is also why his will is to be done in your life that he might hallow you. Amen. 
Well, thank you, Pastor Golden and Pastor Roth for joining us this evening. Thank you, those of you who are watching live with us and those who will be listening to this or watching it afterwards. We are, this is Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. We will be back next Tuesday night, part two on the Lord's Prayer, joined by Pastor William Whedon and Pastor Merritt Dembski. We look forward to you joining us. Subscribe down below, turn on notifications so that when we go live, You'll uh, get get a notification on your smartphone, email, however that works. Join us in the Grokmoot, our Facebook group, where we are discussing this throughout the week, answering people's questions about the faith. And check out our website, crucialproductions.org. You can see all our past shows and Pastor Roth's one single article. <laughs> That's the only one up there so far because the other pastors have been so busy. They haven't had time to write about oh, their favorite verse. I'm not busy. <laughs> Well, I work one day a week, Tim. Yeah, come <laughs> Half on. A day. Half a day. But I guess the other pastors are working two days a week, so their time is totally yeah. taken up. So anyways, thank you all for joining us this evening. You have a wonderful evening, and we'll see you next time.